1: This is an unusual nose in so many different ways. For example, we are usually live on the air with this program, Fridays at 1 p.m., but the president is speaking even as I'm speaking, so that's not happening. You're listening right now on your favorite podcast platform or right off the ctpublic.org website, or maybe you're hearing the rebroadcast in at night uh, or on Saturday, I don't know how you're listening. Why? Why am I even going through all that? Uh, anyway, the point is, the point is, it's unusual in other ways too. Because on the show today, we have two excellent panelists, including a person returning to our to our family life after having been an intern at or near the start of her career. But also, in the second segment of today's show, we are going to be talking about something called F Boy Island. Uh, and we urge all the panelists right now to, to go F-boy, 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 so they don't say it any other way. Um, and it, it's a reality show uh, on, it's a reality dating show, I reality being more of a Uh, a coinage, a pleasantry than an actual representation of reality. Anyway, uh, Cat Pastor, our technical producer, is going to join us in an unprecedented move. And I feel like we're setting ourselves up for disaster in multiple ways. We have a show where the title invites possible slips of the tongue, and then we have the person responsible for bleeping slips of the tongue actively involved in talking on the show uh, it just seems like so many things could go wrong. Um, so all of that awaits us. But first of all, let me tell you who is on the panel today, and then I'll tell you the other two topics. Um, joining us today is Sandra Ellen, uh, an associate producer at Pineapple Street Media, uh, and she writes on the media's email newsletter. She, did, she is the aforementioned person who was here as an intern and kind of a Betsy Kaplan protege. There's a lot of them. They're fanning out all over the country. We really don't know ultimately what they're all going to do. They may have a plan. Um, Carolyn Payne is an actress, comedian, dancer. She's the founder, director, and choreographer of Kinetic Dance. Many other things besides that. Uh, if we have enough time in this first segment, we will pause to talk about Two Grumpy Old Men on Martha's Vineyard, Alan Dershowitz and Larry David, getting into it outside the Chilmark General Store or something. I don't know. Uh, everything that happens on Martha's Vineyard makes me not want to go to Martha's Vineyard. Um, but We were planning anyway to talk about the ascension of a guy named mike richards who had been recently hired as executive producer of jeopardy and then after kind of in a very dick cheney kind of way leading the search for a new host um, became the designated host of jeopardy and then claire mcnear of ringer who's yeah. written a book about Jeopardy and actually was on a show with me and Carolyn to talk about Jeopardy, uh, did uh, kind of an investigative piece in Ringer, in, in, in The Ringer, finding that Mike Richards had kind of this very, very checkered, one would say soiled, not even checkered, checkered is too kind of term, a soiled background, both in terms of his handling of relations with female employees and other game shows where he'd worked, uh, and also in hosting a podcast uh, in, in which he called random, dumb uh, in which he said sexist things and kind of anti-Semitic things, and uh, and even uh, uh, kind of using a term a not, not a, a defiled term, uh, a banned term for people with certain kinds of disabilities. It's not a pretty picture. Uh, so, we probably could have set a kitchen timer for when the next thing would have happened, which is it has been announced today that he is not going to be the host of Jeopardy and they have to start all over again. Although, Carolyn, maybe we should begin there and say, do they have to start all over again or do they have sitting on the shelf in the person of Aaron Rodgers uh, or uh, uh, um, I keep wanting to call him Geordie LaForge, that's not LeVar Burton, uh, or or anybody else? they have somebody sitting there? They, I mean, they auditioned like 18 different people. Do they have somebody all ready to go?
2: You know, I... I was totally on the team of people who wanted LeVar Burton to get in there. I think I said before, he just felt like a natural choice, Uh, you know, especially for like millennials. It took you from like reading Rainbow to Jeopardy. It just felt like a really smooth transition. (laughs) Um, And he didn't, I feel, get a fair chance. You know, some of these hosts that they tried out got two full weeks. He was given one because I think he was sort of like fan pushed to be there. I, so I, I hope that they do give him another chance to come back. Uh, I kind of, it's really hard to let go of Alex Trebek. So there is something kind of nice about just sort of floating through these tryout hosts uh, because it it just feels like it, nobody is replacing Alex Trebek yet. So I think and kind of taking some comfort in that. I like that my Alexa still, when I play Jeopardy on my Alexa, I still have Alex Trebek's voice. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, now I know that that will, I was starting to get nervous about that changing. I was getting some anxiety. And now I feel like I'm, I'm going to get to keep that for a while. So I, I don't know. I mean, I guess, and and this whole thing, this whole shakeup today with this announcement, as I explained on Facebook to somebody, I, I, I'm i I'm I'm shook but not shocked by this happening
1: right well so one thing by the way I am prepared to say and I make few predictions uh, about this it won't be Joe Buck I just watched one of Joe Buck's guest hosting <laughs> experience and I'm not a I'm not a Joe Buck hater I think Joe Buck is fine at what he does for a living uh, but he seemed to be that rare Jeopardy host who wasn't entirely sure he did know the answer uh you know I like <laughs> Would yeah. say something he'd have to think about. Is that? The, yeah, I guess that's the correct answer. Um, so, and that's not good. That's not a good feeling. So, Zandra, we have to sort of step back and say, and, and maybe this is a question that will never fully get answered. But you kind of have to wonder who at Sony or wherever how 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 we got to this point. Here's this guy with. He doesn't have like one or two little bad Ken Jennings tweets or something in his past. I mean, there's a lot of real problems here. And we live in an era where we know that you should fly spec for those problems because, you know, they will come to light. They typically do come to light. You just sort of wonder how they so, so tone deafly blundered into all this.
3: Absolutely. It's really confusing to imagine that this that this mistake could have possibly been made given what we understand about the vetting process that goes into hiring people for high-profile careers. Um, and I also think that like the things that he said really preclude him from being able to be the host of this show. Like, I think that being the host of Jeopardy requires a degree of earnestness and sincerity that like a shock jock doesn't really bring to the table. So I'm genuinely confused about how he could have gotten to this point unless as the ringer article i think sort of suggested the process was a little bit rigged and he sort of conned his way in there um but yeah i don't really know why he why he wanted this job like it doesn't you have to be able to do this job you have to be able to like recite with the utmost sincerity categories like i don't know like like alcoholics eponymous and you have to be able to say it like incredibly sincerely and seriously. Um, And you have to be able to deal with and lend some degree of grace to arguably the worst nerds in the entire world. And I just don't think that someone who appears so bigoted (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> would really be able to take up that
1: task. Right. I, I think the answer to your first question is he just wanted to be famous. There are people like that, right. and, and and being a game show host is a way that you can be famous. If and I'm not I'm not casting asparagus on game show hosts, but you know I mean you you don't have to be able to sing or dance or you know, two action sequences. I mean, it is sort of a thing you can do with a fairly minimal skill set. Uh, and he auditioned to be the host of The Price, of, Price is Right while he was affiliated with that show as well. Although, you know, Carolyn, Xandra's is leading us into some very interesting territory, which is, and, and there's no point in trying to replicate Alex Trebek uh, and his unique relationship with both the material of the show and the guests. Although I think it would be a misstatement or an oversimplification to say that, you know, he had an obvious fondness for the guy, for the panelists. There's sort of a way in which Alex held himself a little bit apart from the the panelists. I don't know if you can put it into words, Carolyn.
2: Yeah, I mean, Alex Trebek, like, charmingly shamed the panelists. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. but it, and it was like just the classiest way to kind of tell somebody i don't care what you're saying to me right now mm-hmm. like us would tell their stories about what they were into you know they they would say i collect model trains mm-hmm. that have a whole world in my basement And he was like good for you yeah, good for you was his go-to
1: <laughs> phrase yeah
2: and he just he did it with such like Grace and charm and and elegance, and it was just so suave that you ex, you just accepted it, and he came across as this nice guy. But honestly, sometimes the way he would talk to these contestants was just downright obnoxious. But I loved it. Uh, so it's a really hard thing to strike that that kind of balance uh, for anyone to be able to uh, be out there in the world and relate to people in that kind of way, where you're at once sort of mocking them but also being really polite to them. Um and he he really hit that perfectly. Um and I don't think that's something they're actively looking for in a host. I don't think that they were, you know, looking for a host who could shame their panelists. I don't think that's the object of Jeopardy. It was just sort of a little added bonus that Alex added. Um, but I I honestly for me, I, I tweeted earlier today, like at this point, like we're in the future. Can we just have like a hologram or a robot Alex Trebek? Like, is that <laughs> something that can happen?
1: <laughs> no, n- no, it, it can't. Uh, I, I feel comfortable saying that. But OK, so, you know, um, Zandra, I'm really looking forward to the on the media episode about this whole episode, uh, and uh, Brooke Gladstone orchestrating a very interesting conversation about all this, because because I'm actually seriously hoping that that, that does happen, uh, because I think there are a lot of other questions. I, think I, I was saying to you guys in the emails as we were getting ready. The real question is, I mean, first of all, this guy who has said all of this really, as you said, bigoted, sexist, inflammatory, dismissive, ableist stuff, is still the executive producer of Jeopardy! The only thing he's lost so far is the hosting gig, I I think he's got to go, and I think somebody, a few people up above him have to go. There are people who should, either should have known about this and and didn't find out about it, or knew about it and didn't see it as a deal breaker. I, I'm not even particularly impressed by the other person that they've elevated, uh, Miami Bialik, who kind of has this squishy semi-anti-vaxxer history. I, I would say just start all over. <laughs> Fire the executives who were over Mike Richards. Fire Mike Richards. Probably get rid of her, too, and, and just pretend this whole episode ever never started. But I mean, Xander, it's one of the things that On the Media does so well is ask a lot of questions about the company that did all this stuff as opposed to the person who got the donkey tail pinned on him.
3: Right. Yeah. I mean, we have to look at the systemic things that allowed this person to, to rise to the top, I think, in this case. Um, we have to examine sort of what the chain of command is here that allowed this to occur. Because what they were doing in terms of sort of beta testing these hosts was they were giving the fans an opportunity to really lean in and become a part of the process, and then they completely ignored whatever the fans clearly wanted, using instead this sort of like algorithm to chart viewership that didn't really make any sense and didn't work for a whole variety of reasons. For instance, LeVar Burton was hosting during the Olympics, so naturally, people were not watching as much. Um, but yeah, I think that I think that there are a lot of things that there, that maybe need to be reckoned with internally. Um, and I feel that it's, it's it's really a question of just whether that's going to happen. And you don't see the, the like material internal workings of something like Jeopardy! so manifest. I think probably because Alex Trebek was such an incredible poster child for the franchise. Um, whereas on other shows, say like, the Ellen Show, um, other kind of like daytime shows that are The View, um, shows that I think I would I would maybe put in the same category. You see all of the politics of the workplace in a very specific and clear way. Um, And with Jeopardy, you just I mean, maybe maybe that's not maybe I'm just not as familiar with the history of Jeopardy, but I don't think that we have at least for a while seen the politics of the workplace so manifest. Um, And often a new hire can really bring that out and force an organization to reckon with itself.
1: Right. I mean, I think that's fair that I mean, the whole point of Jeopardy was to have no visible politics uh, of any kind. I, I have to say that I'm so incredibly old that I spent a day walking around Hartford, an afternoon walking around Hartford with Art Fleming when he was still host of Jeopardy. Jeopardy's only had two hosts, if, unless yeah. you count the one day of taping that Mike Richards put in. Uh, and, you know, And I guess that brings up the question, Carolyn, it, it feels like they have to get this right. Right now, that, that they are close to breaking Jeopardy. I think they're, they're, uh, maybe I'm uh, I'm overstating the crisis, but it sort of feels like this thing is dragged on for a long time. You know, the the having all those 15 to 18 guest hosts. Actually, I think set up a situation where there would be somewhere between 14 and 17 sets of aggrieved parties, you know, who would be upset when the person that they like didn't get it. Uh, and now you've got this hideously inappropriate person who, who seems to have slimed his way to it. And, and you sort of feel like, wow, here's this kind of unassailable franchise that feels, I don't know, you can sort of see the cracks forming in it or, or tell me I'm wrong.
2: No, I wish you were wrong, but I, I agree. That's my fear that they'll just implode at this point. Uh, cause you know, other shows have successfully, you know, like Bob Barker and price is right. Like he left and Drew Carey took over. I mean, I never watch it anymore. I think I stopped watching it once I was like, you know, 10 years old and not staying home sick from school and watching <laughs> that kind of TV during the day, but it seems to go on and be successful and, uh, you know, gives Drew Carey a job, but it, it that it didn't have the same kind of stakes. So, I mean, again, Alex Trebek I think was just so singularly perfect for this show that it really people are like me where I am still clinging to his voice on my Alexa and the perfect the perfect replacement for him just doesn't really seem to exist. And maybe it doesn't. And although you know. Jeopardy! is just such an amazing show to have on TV. Maybe this is just it imploding because it can't, maybe it needs to transition into something else totally different if we can't have something that is the same.
1: We can't have nice Jeopardy things anymore. So um, I, I just want to follow up on one thing, Carolyn, which is, and I didn't see these, so I have, but I I did read about them on Twitter. So I absolutely know the truth about them. Um, so, but there are a lot of people on Twitter who just say that Lavar Burton, for all of his uh, attributes and for all of his prestige, uh, from Star Trek, from Roots, and from Reading Rainbow and everything else. He just wasn't really quite that all that good in the one week that he had. And you know, it was probably five tapings on one day. Uh, he could have been having a bad day. But uh, there's certainly a sentiment out there that when he got his shot, he didn't really fit the show as well as might have been hoped. What was your take?
2: Yeah, unfortunately, that I, I I agree with that. I really, like I said, I wanted him. I wanted this for him, and I felt like it could really— work. Um, I don't know. I mean, he might've caved under the pressure that happens to even a seasoned performer. Like we've all been there. You just kind of can't, you know, your mouth doesn't work good in that moment. Uh, and he, he definitely seemed nervous or like caving under the pressure. There was something a little off. And that's why I said, if he had had maybe a little bit more time to gel into it. Uh, Cause I do think like he had this whole fan push behind him. And they did kind of squeeze him in there, like like Xandra pointed out. It was during the Olympics week, so maybe viewership was down. I would like to see him get a second chance. If we're going to be going down this road and trying to pick somebody, he definitely deserves, I think, another another moment in the sun for this. Um, but yeah, it was it was not. He, he didn't quite he didn't quite get to where he needed to be.
1: I mean, Xandra, I also wonder, I mean, some of the ethos of Jeopardy, I think, goes something like this. It's really one of the few places in, in the media and show business where the people who come on, you know, I mean, for the most part, they're not great looking people and they have bad haircuts and kind of frumpy clothes, mm-hmm. whatever, you know, and they're not. They're not camera ready people. But if they're smart, you know, they really get to stay around for quite a long time. Uh, they get fan bases. Their little, not particularly telegenic quirks become kind of endearing attributes. Um, and, and for that reason, you know, I think that's one of the reasons the host is important. And probably the one of the nice things about Trebek is when he got started there, he wasn't You know, he was no kind of superstar or anything like that. There is sort of an argument. I mean, Mike Richards is obviously the wrong guy. But there is an argument for kind of a nobody coming in there, right?
3: No, I think think that's absolutely true. Um, And one of the things that I think is so impressive about Alex Trebek as a host was that he had this air of humbleness about him, despite you understanding that as the host of the most important game show in America, um, that he... He probably had some kind of desire for for center stage, but he didn't portray that in the same way that all of the contestants do. And I think that there really is a point of connection there. Um, I mean, I maybe kind of missed this news cycle. Maybe you all can fill me in. What ended up taking place with Ken Jennings because my understanding was that he was sort of the natural successor. I know that there were maybe some tweets resurfaced, um, but can we, can we maybe tease out what happened there just for people like me who weren't super in that?
1: It's a great question. I'm not sure it has a news cycle answer. I I think I do know the answer, but Carolyn, I'd rather go to you first.
2: Yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, I I have no idea. I have not heard. I kind of wondered the same thing, though. Ken Jennings, to me, I I wouldn't have been thrilled with him either, to be honest. So, yeah, I I don't know. Do you know?
1: Well, I mean, once again, from my uh, um, quest for truth in the lands of the Twitters, uh, one thing that's fairly (laughs) clear is that there are two very well-defined camps. One of them is, obviously, it should be Ken Jennings. Why even think about anybody else? Mm, he is such actually. a natural fit. Uh, and Alex left his cufflinks for him. Alex did everything he possibly could to anoint Jennings right. uh, as his successor. That's who he clearly thought uh, should step into his shoes. Uh, and there's also a, an Anybody but Ken Jennings camp that's pretty loud. I mean, I, I, I don't know, you know, tw- Twitter is very deceptive. I think one fifth of America even uses Twitter. So, so you know, an encampment within that encampment isn't necessarily particularly important. But there's certainly a lot of people who just don't like him. He just bugs people. Uh, and of course, as you were pointing out, Xander, they they probably are testing, you know, Q ratings and all kinds of stuff, uh, you know, pretty scientifically there uh, to try to figure this out. It it didn't spare them the current... Fiasco that they're in the middle of, but I, I would assume it has something to do with that. That there are people who hate him uh, for whatever reason. I don't think it's the old tweets. I think it's him uh, that they hate him every bit uh, as vir- virulently uh, as the people who like him like him feverishly. And well, yeah, go ahead.
3: Yeah, that that that's interesting. That's good to know um, because I think that the argument for Ken Jennings for me would be that one of my favorite things about Alex was that he at least pretended to know all the answers. I don't know if he actually did, but I loved how self-assured he was as he presented the correct answer to them. I was just like, this guy is a total encyclopedia. Like he's like it was I and so I think that having someone who I knew could play the game or at least could act like he could play the game um, is definitely another criteria for me. Yeah.
1: Uh, I, the other thing that I would say about this is, I, I don't know, I, I may be uh, judging from a, a small amount of, of evidence, but I watched a lot of those Tournament of Champions things. And there's sort of a way in which Jennings, for all the time he spent in front of the camera and he's got other projects, he's got another project right now. That was one of the reasons he, he couldn't keep, I, I think, doing kind of guest hosting or trial hosting or whatever. You know, Carolyn, I don't know if you picked this up or not, but um, of, this, of the Tournament of Champions people, uh, Holzhauer, James Holzhauer, who's like the most recent superstar, not counting, by the way, we should say this name, Mike Emodio, uh, has put together an incredible stretch of days. Uh, he nominally lives in New Haven. He's a fifth-year graduate student in the School of Engineering, and, and he's the latest superstar. But Holzhauer, you know, is really into kind of high-fiving the other champions and, and kind of, you know, or making a little friendly joke towards them. And when he first started doing that, Jennings clearly didn't have a level of comfort. It took him a few, maybe a few days to sort of go, oh, I guess that's OK to sort of act like human, we're human beings up here and, and, and interact with one another. I'm not sure that that comes all that naturally to him.
2: Yeah, I, I- well i mean between ken jennings and james holtower i'd take ken jennings i found james holtower really annoying so i guess it just comes down to preference and i i said i didn't want ken jennings um i i think uh ken jennings is just kind of a a more awkward an awkward nerd for sure uh that that doesn't come you know the thought of high-fiving someone he doesn't really strike me as that as that kind of person um but I, I think there is a difference between playing the game and sort of owning the game. Mm. And I, well, mm. amazing players, like they still don't own the game. Um, I, I just, I can't. I, I, I really think that's a
1: really, really good. That's a smart point. Yeah, I yeah. really, I think that is a, t- a terrific point. All right, we're going to yeah. have to stop there. What you're also saying is that Ken Jennings is not an F-boy. He's not high-fiving people and stuff like that. <laughs> so, uh, by the way, we were going to talk about Dershowitz versus Larry David on Martha's Vineyard. This, is, this felt too important, and we sped past the time window. But that's why you're about to hear the Curb Your Enthusiasm theme music as we move towards the next segment.
0: I like to talk about social isolation as not just that individual's problem, but it's a community problem or it's a family problem. We need to connect with others. We can take space at times as well, but we need to step out of our comfort zone and do things to connect with other people. It's life-saving.
1: For more information, go to ctpublic.org slash elevating health. All right. We are back. And I'm sorry we didn't get to, to that topic. I just do want to say that. I don't know, the Obama birthday party, even though I loved him as a president, uh, the Obama birthday party and the Larry David Dershowitz the, all this stuff just makes me want to go to Nantucket, you know? Uh, it just makes Martha's Vineyard seem like a place I don't want to be. It's probably all going to be gone by Sunday night anyway. We hope not. But uh, anyway, here we go. Uh, we're going to talk about a different island, not Nantucket although it could be rhymed with Nantucket, uh, not Martha's Vineyard, but in fact, F-Boy Island, HBO Max's first reality TV dating show. Um, personally, I hope that isn't like a the beginning of a huge trend on HBO's uh, part, but uh, joining us are Xandra Ellen, associate producer at Pineapple Street Media. She writes on the media's email newsletter, and she was uh, heard discussing this on an episode uh, of a podcast. I don't know how we knew that, but somehow... Somehow or other, we knew that she was on the podcast, Love to See It, with Emma and Claire, talking about episodes four through six. So that's how we lured her back here. Carolyn Payne, actress, comedian, and dancer, uh, founder, uh, director, and choreographer of Kinetic Dance. And Cat Pastor, technical producer of The Colin McEnroe Show, and many other shows here at—all the other shows, basically, uh, here at WNPR. So this is a reality show. Uh, I, I guess I'll be the one who tries to state the premise of it. it is, um, the premise of it is that there are three unattached women on uh, a tropical island uh, with, I think, about 140 guys. Uh, I, I sort of lost <laughs> at a certain point. Half of them uh, are nice guys. Uh, which m- means pretty much what that sounds like, I guess. They are earnestly and sincerely pursuing a, a good relationship with a woman, m- at least so they say. Uh, and the other uh, half are F-boys who are just in it for the conquest, for the exploitation, and who are prepared to deceive uh, women about their intentions and latent personality disorders. Um First of all, cat, how did I do? Was that a good uh, explanation?
0: Yeah, I think that was a pretty good explanation, uh, especially the part about the 140 men, because I do agree that I think they started with too many.
1: And then added some. And then added
0: more, three more. Why and, not?
1: And eight of them are named Jared, uh, Yeah, or Garrett. Or, or Garrett. or Garrett or Jomar or something. <laughs> right. So, and, and so, Zandra, another part of this is that nominally, at least at the outset, and I know you have things you want to say about this, the idea is to sort through this basket uh, of deplorables and, and non-deplorables and figure out which is which and get rid of the deplorables. There's a place called Limbro, which is this kind of stockade where they're put the, the, the deplorables are put. I mean, that's part of the idea, right? And then maybe win a prize somehow?
3: Um yeah, that's, well, so that's never explained. The premise of the show is never really clearly clearly established. The stakes are never really made clear. Um, the rules, as I mentioned in our email exchange earlier, are continuously changing to the point that you're like, this is a lawless society that we've created here, um, not a competition. And, um, and so I, I personally take issue as someone who Takes reality TV probably way too seriously with the kind of world building that the show uses. Um, I think that world building in these kinds of shows is really important. And what that entails is creating a set of rules that are codified and tested and broken only which they've proven to be sustainable. Um, you know, that's why a show like Survivor and a show like The Bachelor can have. So many seasons, and there are still things that can happen that are unprecedented because there are rules that are immovable, unchangeable until they are broken. And the problem with the show like this is it's not sustainable to have a show where the rules keep changing. You know, in one elimination round, the host, Nikki Glazer, who I have to admit I'm very endeared by, I find her really, really sweet um, and funny. Uh, She just like completely upends the entire game and says, "Actually, it's not just the bottom one guy going home for all these three women; it's the bottom two guys." And that's just like not a curveball that really makes any sense, given that, as far as we the viewer knows, as far as we the viewers know, that is just a normal thing that happens on this show. Right? Well, that's but that's
1: that's a scripting thing. What what had happened is that one of the one of the women had included. A guy that she actually liked, kind of to punish him, she'd included him in in the in the two possible sitting ducks that she was setting up there, with no intention of getting rid of him. And then they did this. There, I mean, somebody wrote that. I, I think. Well, before we hear before we hear Carolyn on this, I just want to give you actually the premise is theoretically explained right here in this clip.
3: Over the past twenty years, the F boy
0: has become both more powerful and more prominent. We have been forced to tolerate the manipulative douchebaggery
3: of the unchecked male ego for far too long. And that is why
0: we're here.
3: F-Boy Island. 24 men are coming right here. 12 of them are self-proclaimed nice guys. I
1: came here to fall in love, you know, sky's the limit. I'm super hopeful to really kind of see where things go. I'm ready to explore that deeper level.
3: And 12 are self-proclaimed F-Boys.
1: I'm the king of the F-Boys. I'm the Godzilla of this here, baby. There's no one else like me here. What's What's up, what's up, what's up, what's
0: up, what's up? They're all here to win the heart of one of three women. Made a lot of mistakes. I've fallen for F-boys in the past. I
3: I am an F-boy tamer. I've done some good taming. I'm over the players. I'd love to find true love. But everyone, men and women, have a chance to win up to $100,000.
1: So there you go. It's as simple as that. All right. So, Carolyn, you know, a lot of the history of the nose consists of my attempts to make you happy with the content that we 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 look at. And I'm inevitably thwarted and you're made even more deeply unhappy. So when we first started talking about F Boy Island, I said at the first meeting about it, well, Carolyn will love this. This will be fun. She can do this one and she'll have a great time. And as usual, it turns out I am wrong. Yeah.
2: uh, Instead, I felt like I was like, am I being punished for saying how much I love <laughs> TV and they're just ironically making me watch this horrible show? Uh, and, and my roommate walked in while I'm watching and he's like, what are you watching? And I you know, explained it. And I was like, I have to watch this for the nose. And he's like, I think you misread an email. he's <laughs> like, <laughs> like, are you sure? I was like, yes, yes, this is really happening. Um, I, okay. So, I mean, of all the things I've had to watch for the nose, is this the worst no. Did I stay up all <laughs> night watching it and I'm still trying to finish it this morning because now I need to finish it? Yes. Uh, I mean, so that ranks it above a lot of things for The Nose, which I've literally just turned off after the bare minimum of knowledge obtaining about it. Um, I just... This show, I guess it is... I, to Xantra's point, there this show has no rules. The only rule is there are no rules. Um, so that makes it really hard to follow. I could not tell most of these F-boys apart, Uh, didn't care about any of them. The women are just absolutely vacuous. I feel sorry for them. Um, So the whole show just stressed me out in some ways. And then I found myself in the middle of the night while I'm still watching it, uh, I found myself like, coming to some scary realizations that I think I'm into F-Boys. So there was like a whole soul searching component that became really like dark and sad in the middle of the night. Uh, But this is just, to me, this wasn't like brilliant, charming reality TV. This was just kind of uh, like some sort of wild, misconstrued like project they did to see, because they assume we'll watch anything at this point.
1: So, so, Cat, one possible defense of this offered by its creators, who uh, I should say uh, include uh, somebody who worked on The Bachelor and a showrunner who worked on Love is Blind. Cat, um, one of the things they basically say is, well, this... This doesn't take itself seriously. The implication, I guess, being that other reality dating shows do take themselves seriously. Maybe they do. I have no idea. But, I mean, what would, what would be the argument uh, for watching this? I mean, apparently Carolyn has had a dark night of the soul in addition to everything else from watching this. What, where's the fun in it? Explain where that is.
0: Okay, so first of all, I want to start by saying I will watch anything. <laughs> um, two. Um, I'm not gonna say that it was perfect. I agree with both Carolyn and zandra It seemed like even the producers had no idea what was going on in the show half the time. Um, so I do have a list of demands for season two, which I am looking forward to. Um but I don't think it was necessarily a bizarre show. I think it was more of a microcosm of how bizarre dating is today and like a like a show of human nature because um It put it in uh, ironically unrealistic uh, pressure cooker situations that can only pop up on reality TV. What the women are essentially going through is very indicative to what a lot of women go through uh, while dating. But if they showed it in a realistic light, it would just be them in their houses not getting texted back after like date four. And that's boring. Nobody wants to watch that. Um, So I think that this show has a lot of promise because I do think it is really realistic. Um, Ethan Gale or Elon Gale, who's the executive producer of The Bachelor, uh, was also the executive producer for this. And he said that The Bachelor sells a fairy tale wow, this is selling more real life. And at the end, you see that a lot of times uh, people's nature doesn't change at all. And uh, even though it's ridiculously clear to the viewer and you're kind of like yelling at your screen about it, um, it's just interesting to see how, like the three women can see very clearly what the other women are doing wrong, but they can't see what they themselves are doing wrong. And I also uh, liked... uh, the bromance between Casey and Garrett <laughs> and also Peter, if you're single, hit me up.
1: <laughs> although, well, although Peter has one. Well, well, mind Um, but yeah, so one of the, I think one of the oddities of this is that there's a, one of the subtexts is that the F-boys, once they're put in this horrible stockade, I don't know, they seem to enjoy each other's company quite a bit. Maybe they seem to enjoy it even more than the anxiety of having to compete uh, with so many other men, uh, against so many other men for one woman. Although, I guess, Sandra, as the person l- l- the least initiated to all this, I found myself thinking... Do these people have any interests at all? I mean, like when they talk to one another, they don't, for the most part, talk about movies or books or even really food. Or I mean, they just sort of talk about like what kind of relationship they want. I mean, what are you looking for? Is <laughs> this question that's asked over and over again? I, I don't know. Are these kinds of shows that monochromatic most of the time? Uh, y-
3: yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> the well, I think that it it goes back to this idea that they are in this pressure cooker environment where, you know, not necessarily in the case of FBoy Island, do I know if these people have personalities? I don't know. It doesn't really matter to me. But when you look at these reality dating shows, the idea is that you need to fall in love. You need to find this love so quickly at such an unrealistic pace for the show to achieve its ends, that the kinds of conversations that you're having are pretty much universally unrealistic conversations. They're conversations that are like, all right, let's get down to brass tacks. How many kids do you want? And that's like date one. Um, And so I think that whether they have interests or not, whether they have conversations that might look a little bit, more similar to the conversations you and I might have. That's not, because that's not, um, because that's not influencing the plot, that's not moving the plot forward. We're not gonna see those conversations, generally speaking on a show like this, um, which is maybe, you know, worthwhile critique. Um, I know on The Bachelor, generally what they'll do is they will like mine contestants for their trauma to get them to kind of connect with the lead. Um, And that's always seen as a more, you know, as a more deep connection, as a more real connection. Is that what a real connection looks like? I think it's like a worthwhile question, but the formula these shows sort of deploy um, in terms of what creating a relationship looks like is always going to be a little bit unrealistic. All
1: right. So um, we should just say that, you know, although there's a sort of an an empowerment narrative, the three women have uh, almost total control and to Xandra's point are free to disqualify and exile somebody based on pretty flimsy pretexts. He used (laughs) an adjective about me. Nobody uses adjectives about me. I don't like that. But, um, uh, but, You know, I don't know, Carolyn, it doesn't really feel like an empowerment narrative. And part of the problem is that two of the three women don't seem particularly bright. I mean, the guys are all idiots, too. I'm not singling out the women here. But um, somehow or other, it doesn't make me think, oh, well, I feel better about, you know, power imbalances now. And also, you should say your thing about the thing that they drink.
2: Oh, yeah. If anyone can help answer what they're drinking. The girls are constantly sipping this, like, milky looking liquid that I think is like, is is like is hard seltzer that they pour out of a can into a plastic wine glass and for some reason this made me hate these girls even more the fact that they're just <laughs> sipping sipping hard seltzer this whole time. uh I don't know why that was one of the big takeaways. in the middle of the night again, just getting filled with rage watching <laughs> oh so, and and as somebody who I love brainless TV, like i I choose brainless over, you know, something deep all the time. But when I was watching this, I found myself actually longing that the show was focused on F-Boys put in a survival situation, not their, like, fakey little beach compound, but an actual, like, naked and afraid level survival that would help Mm. these change. And they could then, like, get off of Brimbo Island. What was it called? What was it? Limbro. Limbro,
1: Limbro.
2: Limbro. yeah. Oh, Limbro. I don't know. But I wanted, like... I actually thought that that could have been an interesting, you know, get, get them some therapy, get them some help because this is, I mean, to Kat's point, like this does reflect what dating is like. And you are trying to weed out somebody who, you know, just wants to say all the right things versus somebody who is going to do more of the right things. So that's why, I mean, it's, it's, if you're looking for a way to waste 10 hours and, you know, (laughs) want to yell at your TV a little, this is a fine way to do it.
1: All right. We have to stop there. Although I think the news is increasingly looking like uh, like a 10 year effort for Carolyn to find some middle ground between Jeopardy and idiotic garbage television. There is a vast middle ground there. Uh, you just have to locate it and put your find foot it. on it. All right. So
0: I, I actually have some closing remarks. Oh, you do? Okay. Yeah, Go ahead. This is Kat. So um, <laughs> I think that maybe one of the reasons why this is so frustrating to watch is because it really does reflect reality that well. Uh, you know, <laughs> as I said, in the unrealistic, ironically unrealistic way. But I do think. That if any reality dating show is going into the Library of Congress, it's probably this one. I think that we're going to look back on this as one of the most realistic ones uh, for years to come.
1: All right. Now we really have to go to a break uh, and we'll be back with some recommendations. All right. Uh, first of all, I want to say today is Tucker Ives' last day with this station. Uh, he started as an intern here. It says here 12 years ago, but I, I feel like he'd already been an intern for 12 years when I got here in 2009. He's like an ent. He was here like at the beginning of the world or something. Uh, and uh, anyway, uh, we will, he's done lots of different things here, including produced the Colin McEnroe show from time to time. Uh, so uh, we will miss him terribly. Uh, and uh, uh, thanks to Cat Pastor, not only for being so terrific as a panelist, but being a technical producer, Jonathan and McPants, of course, the producer of this and pretty much all other, save one or two, uh, knows episodes. Now it's time to make some recommendations. Times a little short, but I think we can get to them. Carolyn Payne, what have you got for us?
2: Um, all right, so I I actually think I endorsed this a while back, but if you are looking for uh, a reality TV show that is that is another contender to go into the Smithsonian of reality TV for this era, uh, I suggest the Circle on Netflix. Um, it's really interesting, you know, having gone through a pandemic where we all uh, were living socially distant and communicating through screens with each other. um, And the first season of this actually came out before that even happened. So it's interesting in that context. And uh, I, that is a show I, that is a reality show I did very much enjoy.
1: All right. Well, that's why we didn't talk about it. (laughs) Um, uh, All right. So, um, uh, and Xandra Ellen, what have you got for us?
2: On a scale
3: of 1 to 10, how gauche is it to promote something that I helped make?
1: About 5, five probably, yeah.
3: Okay, I'm going to do it. Um, so if you like a show like The Nose, I would highly recommend listening to a show that I produce called Back Issue, um, which is a pop culture nostalgia show. Um, we have put out one full season, and we're currently in the middle of our second season. Um, And this season, we have episodes about the history of the internet. We have one episode about Whitney Houston. Um, It's a lot of really fun, sound-rich nostalgia. And I think that anyone who's interested in some really astute cultural commentary will love it.
1: I love I love what a young person's idea of nostalgia is. I
3: know it's it's all the '90s and 2000s. <laughs>
1: These are all things. As far as I'm concerned, they just happened. Yeah. they just happened five seconds ago. Uh, all right. So um, I was actually kind of struggling for something to recommend this week because we've had. Uh, first of all, I'm just running out of stuff. I have to do this every week, but also we've had books to read for shows this week and everything, and the shows have been really fun. And but it's sort of anyway. But so coming over here, uh, Fresh Air is is rerunning uh, excerpts from a whole bunch of their Tony Bennett interviews, and I was just—I almost couldn't come in the building, you know. I was having a driveway moment here in the parking lot uh, of WNPR because. Because Tony Bennett is just so mesmerizing. I mean, he really is. First of all, an unusually moral person within the world of entertainment. You know, I mean, he really just always did have this kind of intense moral core. And as somebody who loves jazz and jazz singing and American songbook, American standard, and even has studied it and attempted to do it myself from time to time, he's just such a great example of it. You know, I mean, if you really want to like learn how to sing some of these songs, you you would do a lot worse. uh, And you. You could do a lot worse than to, to listen to uh, to how he does it. And I, I guess I would specifically also recommend, surprisingly, his collaborations with Lady Gaga uh, where I mean, he just sort of, first of all, gave her room uh, to sing in a way that she's never sung before and I think she was sufficiently impressed by the opportunity to do this with him so that she really mastered uh, idioms of jazz singing and American Standard singing uh, so that she, you know, I don't know. He And he loved her too. He called her Stephanie or whatever her real name is. And said She's a nice Italian girl. Uh, and so, I don't know, just a great guy. Listen to the Fresh Air uh, excerpts because they're spellbinding and, and full of history and stuff like that too. And then listen to Tony Bennett sing because he he really is, you know, I mean, I don't know. People listen to Sinatra and then they try to sing like Sinatra. That's probably a bad idea. But if you if you want to really know the songs and the way they sound, listen to Tony Bennett. All right. Zandra Ellen, uh, great to talk to you. I'm definitely—what's the name of the podcast again?
3: It's called Back Issue.
1: Back Issues. I'm definitely listening to Back Issues. About all that— Distant, distant history, way back to Whitney Houston, (laughs) almost a contemporary of Benjamin Franklin's. Uh, Carolyn Payne, actress, comedian, all that other kind of stuff. Uh, So much fun to visit with all of you, too. Thank you for listening whenever it is that you are listening. Tell your friends they can listen to this podcast any old time they want. That's how podcasts work. Talking, joking, talking about this, and talking about that. And talk about everything as a matter. Talk about Torrington, Vernon, Danbury, Waterbury, yeah. Oliveberry, Woodbury, hitting on New Britain, Vernon, I already said that one, Avon, Farmington,
2: yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. All the red.